Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Our goal is to connect you with real people, with real stories and how they think about bravery in the workplace, and examples of how they have demonstrated bravery in the workplace, all with the goal of helping you do the same. I hope you have listened to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcast, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. Be on the lookout as well for my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, which is being published in September of 2020. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today. Marissa Patterson is an executive coach and leadership specialist. Hello, Marissa. Hello there, Ed. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Great. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Okay, sure, Ed. Um, Well, as you can probably hear, I certainly didn't grow up around these parts. I'm currently based in Boston. You have an accent. I have a bit of an accent. But I grew up uh, in Ireland, in Dublin, and studied there as a psychology for my undergraduate and then did some postgraduate psychology work as an industrial organizational psychologist in the UK. And I've spent the last sort of 25 years really being a sort of a consultant, working around the globe, helping sort of leaders be the best version of themselves. And it's work that I managed to sort of fall into 25 years ago. And I just feel very grateful because it's work that I just have a huge passion around. Fantastic. And how long have you been in the US? So I have been in the US now coming up for about 20 years. Sadly, I'm now dating myself. (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. Well, I'm just curious if you sense or see any differences either, you know, culturally or as you experience the culture in the US between Ireland and the US, are there differences? Yes and no. You know, the the sense is that particularly when it comes to leadership, you know, leadership is leadership. Certainly the, the context might change and there might be slightly different customs and mores that are a wee bitty different, but there are no difference. The the essential essence of what I think leadership is, is very constant around the globe. I think one of the areas that I do notice that I think there is a difference is the sort of the sense of how collective a culture is versus sort of how individualistic. And, you know, I think growing up in sort of Ireland, which I would describe as a sort of highly collective uh, culture, Whereas I think the States is slightly much more, more of a meritocracy, more individualistic. You know, I think interestingly, as we face the current context, which we're in with this uh, global pandemic, I think those sort of cultural attributes really do come to the fore. Yeah, I love that premise of, you know, individualistic versus collective, because when I think about culture as it pertains to an organization, and as I have become a student of bravery in the workplace, culture plays, I think, a significant role as to whether or not bravery is welcomed and rewarded or something that is more avoided and not appreciated. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts or observations on that. 
Yes, I mean, you know, I certainly do, because I think one of the ways in which bravery is manifest, particularly from a sort of a leadership perspective, is its ability to sort of connect with people. And, you know, interestingly, although we are actually sort of wired to connect physiologically, emotionally, psychologically, it's also surprisingly easy for us to disconnect. And, you know, I think that's because neurologically, you know, our brain has five more times threat receptors than it does have reward centers. So it's easiest for us to sort of pick up in a threat. And, you know, I guess from an evolutionary point of view, that was really quite useful. You know, we needed to know to what to run away from quickly versus sort of hang around and debate whether it was a good decision or not. But the implication of that is that we have this dichotomy where we're wired for connection, yet so easily do we sort of disconnect. And I think one of the constructs around leadership and bravery is how do you hardwire that connectivity with your people, your teams, your culture and your organization? It's interesting to hear that there, if I heard you correctly, five times more receptors to feel threatened versus feeling welcomed. Am I describing that correctly? Yeah, correct. Right. And so I'm wondering just off the cuff if that has something to do with bravery in the workplace, because if the threat is greater in what you're experiencing, whether you're sitting in a meeting and thinking you should say something but don't, or you have a subordinate who is not behaving the way that you would expect and you want to say something to them, if that's influencing in some way your likelihood for saying or doing you know, the right thing. Absolutely. I think it's very profound. And I think if leaders have an awareness and a sense of how easily that they can uh, disconnect from their employees or cause disconnection in a group setting when you're trying to collaborate and just have an awareness of it, it would just really lead to, to far greater connectivity. And you know, one of the ways in which leaders do this is this notion of candor, which is allowing people to feel psychologically safe, allowing people to feel that it's okay to, to open up, that what they say won't be judged, that if they do have a half an idea, that that's okay. It doesn't have to be a sort of a fully formed idea. And to say these things intellectually, people nod and say, oh, yes. And I talk to leaders and they say, oh, yes. But intellectually knowing something and psychologically feeling it are two different things. And I think most leaders get the cognitive connection, but they don't understand how to psychologically make people feel safe. Well, I know in the work that you do as an executive coach, the idea of self-awareness is very important. And I'm sure you've worked with leaders who would tell you that they are very candid and create great psychological safety with teams. And then you sit in on a meeting to observe and you see none of it. Right? You don't see any candor. And you see no psychological safety because their self-awareness is either so low or distorted based on kind of who they are and what position that they've held in the company. Have you had those types of experiences? Absolutely. And, you know, I basically say that it's a three-legged stool to create sort of psychological safety. You need the candor bit. So you need people to feel that they can be open. You need the self-awareness of the leader so they understand the impact they're having in the group. And then you need this notion of how does a leader build trust? And I think it's those sort of three ingredients. And if you can sort of parcel them together, leaders would go really very far in terms of their ability to be able to build psychological safety in their teams. 
And, you know, this notion of trust, people tend to think of trust as being this meta concept, but actually it's layered. It's the small, often inconsequential things that a leader might do. They respond to an email on time. They show up in a meeting. They forward somebody's name in a phone call. It's those small little acts that sort of get layered over time that I think build trust as opposed to leaders sort of seeing it as this big, you know, bundled concept that they sort of have to come in and have to have 100% trust or the team won't be effective. Right. And if I were to start other podcasts, you could create a podcast just on trust because it is multi-layered and complex. You could start a podcast just on candor and you could start a podcast just on self-awareness. So all of those are very you know, complex, deep, experiential situations that leaders have at the workplace. Absolutely. So let's talk, if we can, Marissa, just a little bit about candor. If you were to be working with a leader and you wanted to give them feedback on being more candid, what's two or three pieces of advice that you might give them or observations that you might have that could be helpful for them? I want to provide these for our listeners so they can think a little bit about uh, you know, how I can be more candid in the workplace. I think the first aspect of being candid is, as I said, to really have a clear sense of psychological candor and intellectual candor. And that is to say that people have to feel the candor. So, for example, you might say, it's okay to fail in this organization. We accept failure as part of the sort of the learning curve. That is to sort of intellectualize perhaps candor or a cultural attribute However, if you're dealing with people who perhaps have only ever gotten sort of A's and A's pluses all, all their careers, is, to suddenly sort of say to people, it's okay for you to fail, they're not going to necessarily relate to that psychologically. So it's how do you normalize some of the sort of the values, the attributes that you want to have these open conversations around? So I think that's one part of candor. I think a second part of candor is around humility. It's about owning your own mistakes as a leader. It's about being very upfront about when you've not gotten it right and being okay to admit that. And I think the third is probably around this concept that, you know, we we talk about in psychological terms called self-efficacy, which was pioneered by the work of Albert Bandura. And self-efficacy is really just a, you know, fancy name for confidence, but it's somehow it's just sounds much cooler. It does sound cooler. And, you know, self-efficacy is just the notion that, you know, if people feel confident, they will release discretionary effort and they will set higher goals for themselves. They will persist longer with a difficult task and they will bounce back quicker from sort of failure. So as a leader, this notion of self-efficacy and sort of building confidence through sort of candor, through admitting your own mistakes, to making people feel psychologically safe as opposed to just intellectualizing it, I think, are some of the ways in which you can sort of operationalize it. And, you know, just one more thought that sort of sprung into my head is that another way that I think people come to candor is to actually be open about a positive intent. And that's assuming positive intent with your teens, with your employees, which is to say that people may or may not operate with the best of intentions But if you just assume that they do, I think you just live a bigger life as a leader. And I think you really go a long way towards operationalizing candor, operationalizing psychological safety, and helping people to really build self-efficacy. 
Well, I love those thoughts. And, you know, the one behavior that certainly I have seen in the work that I have done, and perhaps you have seen it as well, is leaders who don't act with candor or always behave as if they have to have the right answer or know it all or can always make the next decision and rarely say, hey, there's a different way that we could have done this and it could have been done better. Or I don't know that we did it really well this time. And next time, perhaps we could do it better. It's so hard for them from time to time to acknowledge a mistake or an error that you know could have been handled differently you know, going forward. Absolutely. And, you know, the importance of it, because the importance of compassion to sit alongside sort of courage, compassion, curiosity, commitment, those are the sort of the C's that I think need to sit alongside and and follow on from the B for bravery. Right. There you go. So these three types of behaviors that help people be braver in the workplace, one is being more candid or being candid to to start with, to having higher self-awareness on how others experience you in the workplace. And three, building trust are great kind of benchmarks and milestones that folks can work on to be braver in the workplace. What about trust, Marissa? What's, you know, what are a couple of things that people could do to help others trust them more. Okay. And, and and again, the notion of trust is that it's layered and to see it as layering and stacking and building and almost like putting, you know, marbles in a marble jar, which is an example that I heard from Brene Brown when she talks about this in Daring to Lead. And, and it's the notion that trust is a small thing. It's about I forwarded your name to somebody and sort of advocated for you. I responded to an email that was important to you and I did it sort of quickly. I was there and I sort of had your back for you in a meeting. It's the sort of small, sometimes they might even appear sort of inconsequential actions that sort of leaders do that sort of stack up. But here's the interesting thing about trust. And it's related to a concept in behavioral finance, which is around loss aversion, which is to say that You do all this hard work to sort of fill up your marble jar with these small instances of trust. And yet one instance of mistrust, you don't just take out one of the marbles, you take out a whole handful of them. Mm -hmm. You know, this concept of loss aversion, where we are more likely to experience twice as much pain from loss as we do from gain, which is why that if we lose $20, that is psychologically more painful to us than the actual high we get from winning $100. So it's really important as we think about trust that it's not just about building trust up, but it's not about, you know, taking the trust credits out. Wow, fantastic. Those are really, really good observations, Marissa. Thank you. So for our listeners, you know, are there a couple of thoughts or observations that you might have that you'd like to leave with them today that they should think about as it relates to, you know, just being braver in the workplace? I think the thoughts that I would like to leave your listeners with, Ed, is this notion that being brave is the underbelly of being brave is being vulnerable. And being vulnerable as a leader is really around being able to sort of form connections with your teams, with your employees, with your organizations that really sort of reveal your authentic self. And to do that, 
I think you really need to do some of the things that we talked about, which is you need to make sure that it's okay for people to speak up, to feel safe. And the way you do that is that you've got to sort of role model that yourself. And also that when people do speak up is, you know, really listening with curiosity and inquiry. And I think it was Harriet Lerner who had a brilliant quote, which she said is, listen with the same passion that you would like to be heard. And that's always resonated with me. And when I think about sort of leaders and they talk about how can I improve my listening is we all love to be listened to. But if you listen with the same passion that you want to be heard, that can just go a great way towards candor and courage and being a brave leader. Well, I love that piece of advice and that uh, quote, because oftentimes, as we all know, as somebody else is speaking, we're not listening. We're thinking about what we're going to say next. right? So, you know, we're not listening with the same passion as we speak because we're so much more focused on speaking. Too true. Great. Great. Marissa, thank you so much for your time today. I think your thoughts and observations will be very, very helpful for our listeners. Do you have any ways that folks can get in touch with you that they'd like to hear a little bit more about your experiences or chat with you about bravery in the workplace? Fabulous. I would love to hear from people, Ed. Thank you for the opportunity. So there are two ways. My cell phone number is 617-686-4140. Or you can contact me at Marisa, M-A-R-I-S-A, at Weatherall Place, which is spelled W-E-T-H-E-R-E-L-L-P-L-A-C-E, weatherallplace.com. Terrific. Marisa, thank you again for joining us. It was great speaking with you. Likewise. Thanks, Ed. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us this week, and we hope you join us next week as we further explore being brave at work. We also welcome you to subscribe to our podcast at bebraveatwork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on CastBox, Overcast, Apple, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google, Spotify, Pandora. We are everywhere. Do you have something to say yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.